in the church when we talk about core values and priorities. Multiplication of growth is better than addition of growth. And this concept of multiplication is, in fact, what Jesus has in mind when He gives His great commission. I'm Kyle Grant, and I'm the lead pastor at Grace Bible Church. You know, biblical preaching is one of the highest priorities of our ministry, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to listen. If you have any questions about our ministry or would like to know more about Christ, feel free to connect with us at www.gracebibleelkhart.com. Thank you again for spending these moments with us, and I pray that God transforms you by His grace through the Bible. If you'll go with me to the book of Hebrews, if you're visiting with us this morning, ordinarily, by ordinarily I mean 99, 95% of the time, we would be in a book of the Bible studying one chapter or one text of the Bible. But for the past few weeks, we have been studying thematically certain priorities of our church. And so we will be in multiple texts of Scripture throughout the time this morning, some of which I will ask you to turn to. Some of them I would just encourage you to write down the reference that you see on the screen. We're going to be in Hebrews several times today, especially in this first point. We'll begin in Hebrews chapter 3, and then we'll switch over to chapter 10. Now, Before I begin to talk about math, there's something you should know about my relationship with math, and that is that I am very bad at it. Thank you for that. The way that I best describe it is um, I'm good with letters, and I'm good with numbers, but once you combine them, we have problems. And so, you know, ordinarily, I am, I'm fine with, really, I'm fine with numbers, and I am fine with the math that I need for life, which, by the way, students, <laughs> there are parents covering their kids' ears, is not what they teach you in school. No matter how much they tell you, you need this in your life, they're paid to say that, all right? Okay, but let me say this. Let me follow it up with this. The other things that you learn in math are necessary for life. Processing, logic, careful thinking, those things are necessary. I have not done one calculus equation since high school. However, nor do I want to. However, that, all that being said... I know one thing about math that all of us will agree with. Typically, when you multiply, you end up with more of a quantity than when you add. Are we all in agreement about that? Good. Okay. It's like maybe there's someone out there who's worse at math than me. And we see this in various aspects of our life. Um, A farmer relies on this idea that multiplication is better than addition. You want crops and you want 
animals who produce more than one offspring to produce more than one offspring if you rely on them for food. Perhaps when you had children, you were planning on addition and you received multiplication. I know that's, that's at least true of one family in our church. I kept telling my wife, man, wouldn't it be fun to have twins, you know? Of course, not knowing, someone said amen. Better have been Ben Cripe, right? Not knowing what I was saying, of course, but, um, and she kept saying, well, it doesn't run in our family. It's like there was at one point, twins didn't run in someone's family until they had twins, right? You understand what I'm saying? In the church, when we talk about core values and priorities, multiplication of growth is better than addition of growth. And this concept of multiplication is, in fact, what Jesus has in mind when He gives His great commission. So this morning, we talk about core value at Grace Bible Church being Christ's commission which he establishes at the end of the Gospels. You know this in Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to the disciples, and he, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this next part's very important. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Of course, the commission we also find in Acts. We'll discuss that text this morning, Acts 1. We find it in the end of Mark as well. And then John, John includes a, a commission, though it's not in the same way that we see in Matthew and in Mark, uh, where he tells Peter to feed the lambs. And then, of course, you know that Peter would go on to be the, uh, one of the apostles, the, the cornerstones of the church, this, the foundation stones of the church. And so from the apostles' ministry, we have the multiplying of disciples. So this morning, we discuss core value number three. We are committed to Christ's commission. Could you walk through the core values with me? Core value number one, we are committed to the core, number, core value number two, we are committed to corporate worship. When we spent two weeks on that particular text, not necessarily by design, but that's what happened. So this morning, we discuss Christ's commission. Of course, you see the little icon that I have under there, the scope. This is what we're aiming for. This is what we're shooting for. And we want to make sure that we have the right target, and we don't get off track. We don't look left or right of the target, nor do we shoot short of the target. But that we're aiming at the right thing. Our, our eyes are placed where they should be. And we have the right trajectory. Well, I just noted Matthew chapter 28 for, for you. You are in Hebrews, but I want to flesh out Matthew chapter 28 just a little bit before we get to Hebrews. So if you look with me at, first of all, the first application of this core value. Remember, we're giving the core value, and then we're giving four primary applications of what that looks like in our church. And this first application is the idea of Christian discipleship. Christian discipleship. Now, I understand last week and this, well, really this entire time as we've discussed the core values, it is possible that largely this is review or maybe we're going over some things that you think that you're very familiar with. And 
may I just remind you to have the attitude of a true disciple, a true learner, which is to always be desiring to learn and to never feel as though this is a topic that's beneath you or that you thoroughly um, understand enough or sufficiently understand. As Pastor Brandon and I prayed in my office this morning, I usually share one thing in particular that I desire to, uh, one thing in particular that's in relation to the sermon. And it was basically said uh, by Pastor Brandon, like, if we don't get this, like, what are we, what are we even doing here, right? And, 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 and that's certainly true. If we don't understand this very basic aspect of who we are as a Christian, not only would I say that we're going to be unproductive as a Christian, I would, I would say that we really don't understand Christ. And so let me, let me explain what I mean when I say that. Matthew chapter 28, I read the text. Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This is, of course, Jesus commissioning the disciples for his mission for them before they are to before he is to ascend and leave them on earth. Go therefore on the basis of the authority that Christ ha- Christ has in relation to his disciples who would become apostles in the founding of the church, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So this is where we see this word now, you understand up until this time, even though he hasn't necessarily said it as clearly as he does in this text, that's what his followers were. They were his disciples, the twelve. Of course, one of them was particularly sinful in his motive, Judas, who would be replaced when the apostles were established in Acts chapter 1 and 2. But they were following Jesus, observing his way of life. Listen, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. This is the idea of their, remember we talked about last week, their union to Christ, and then their union to the congregation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's why we use this terminology when we baptize. And then this next part's very important. Teaching them to observe. So fundamental to the idea of discipleship is the aspect that they are to be unified to Christ, both privately in their conversion and publicly in their union to the church, as we understand the ordinance of baptism, and that those disciples are to be taught. Disciples in this age were understood with two primary aspects. They were understood as followers. They listened and they submitted and they were understood as learners, literally pupils or underlings like one would be in a, in a teaching setting. This is why we teach disciples because fundamental to the definition of disciple is learner. So they are believers. They are believers who identify with Christ and they are believers who are taught into the image of Christ according to the instruction of Christ. Disciples learn in order to obey, and they grow in faith in order to follow. You say, well, what does this look like? This is where we get into the idea of multiplication. Make 
disciples. Well, how do you make disciples? You produce learners who produce learners who produce learners who produce learners. And what happens when you produce learners who produce learners who produce learners who produce learners? You produce followers who produce followers who produce followers. And so we follow Jesus together. And this instruction is not unique to the 11 who would become the apostles. You're in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any evil in you, an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 13, but exhort one another every day. Now, who is the writer of Hebrews addressing? He's addressing a congregation made up of disciples. And what does he say is to be your relationship to one another? It should be a spiritual one where you are taking care as a community and exhorting one another as a community that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You have the privilege and opportunity to contribute in such a way in the congregation that you may actually Help one remain soft to the Scriptures. Exhort literally means to call alongside of. To be in step with. To have your arm around. Movement together. And I use this term multiplication in contrast to addition, and and I'll use it very specifically in just a moment, but Did you know Americans tend to be very individualistic? Did you know that? And I say it tongue-in-cheek, but we're very individualistic. We're very isolationist. We're very private. And if you don't have a frame of reference for that, if you were to study other cultures, you would see how communally operating they are. But we have our life and our money and our job, and you're not allowed to infringe upon that. Or you'll get into our business, and our business is our business, and it's not your business, it's our business on purpose. Can I encourage you with something as a believer in Jesus Christ to be a disciple? You are to be transparent. You are to be vulnerable. Our business, spiritually, is one another's business. Don't use that as license to gossip. Use it as license to exhort one another. Verse 14, I love this. For we have come to share in Christ. You tell me, is sharing an individualistic activity? No. It takes two people to share or to not share. As some of you have young children know. These are mutual communal words. We have come to share in Christ. How then do we multiply and perpetuate the sharing that we have in Christ? Exhort one another. Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. You know these verses as, you know, like the pastor's favorite verses to get everybody to come to church. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I, I don't have time to really go into it because I know myself, and if I really went into it, I would end up really getting stuck in Hebrews, and I want to be careful not to do that. But if you study the context of Hebrews 10, do you know what he's saying? Since you have access to the Father through Christ as the true and better way, you should all be coming to Him together through Christ. So let us consider how to stir up one another. This is a strong word. And, and elsewhere in Acts, it literally has the word to, to agitate or to aggravate. It was, a used, it was a word used, I believe it's chapter 16 in one of the riots, that they aggravated into a riot. Now, I'm not saying do that in the church, okay? But you get the idea that it's a strong word. That we actually have the opportunity to stir up one another to love and good works and participate in one another's love and good works. Which, next line, is impossible if you are neglecting to meet together. And the next line, I think, is almost comical. As is the habit of some. Ooh. Well, who are they? It's no secret. It's those who aren't there. <laughs> but, what's the next word? Encouraging one another. To give grace to one another. To minister Christ to one another. To reflect the goodness and glory and kindness of the gospel in one another's life. So integral to, these two, to this idea of discipleship is this idea of learning and following and doing it together. It maintains the idea of master submission. We are all submitting to Jesus. And it maintains the idea of multiplication. You say, well, how does that work? You disciple someone with the intent that they disciple somebody else. You do not disciple one person and then leave them and go to somebody else. You disciple that person to disciple somebody else. You train as a teacher someone else to be a teacher. You as a mentor, a spiritual mentor, equip someone to spiritually mentor someone else. And then that disciple disciples. Then that disciple disciples. And some of you have been the product of a good discipler. Many of you. Someone who pours into your life and, and encourages you and exhorts you and stirs you up to love and good works and encourages you if you're falling off there's, there's understandable reasons to miss church. There really are. Okay? And then there's less than understandable reasons to miss church. Ones that I, I'm not sure that Jesus would agree with. And so maybe you've been on the other side of that text message, hey, we've missed you. We're praying for you. Can we get together? And then you get together with that person and then you encourage them and then they're back at church and you've actually shared in Christ. 
this seems like it should be so basic. And it is. Make disciples. Contribute in the spirituality of one another. It means two things. It means, first of all, you must have a disciple maker discipling you, and two, be a disciple maker discipling somebody else. But can I express a concern to you? And this isn't just out there. I think it's everywhere in Christianity. We must not substitute Christ's method for discipleship with man-made methods. God's program for discipleship and evangelism, listen, is people. Did you hear what I said? God's program for discipleship and evangelism, which by the way, sometimes those two words get divided, and I'm going to divide them in points today, but I'm going to try to connect them because I want you to see how they're connected. Those two words get divided, like I'm a good discipler, but I'm not a good evangelist. Well, if you're giving the gospel, disciples are going to be made. Okay? But when in the context of the church, as we make disciples, you understand that God's program for making disciples is, is disciples. But what the church has done is rely on programs and create multi-layer strategies and structures and marketing schemes. And these are not substitutes for growth, and they will not accomplish the same as building and multiplying relationships for God's glory. So we do not primarily rely on Sunday school. Sunday school is great. Vacation Bible school. Vacation Bible school is great. Grace Bible Institute. Grace Bible Institute is great. Seminars, they're great. Conferences, they're great. Who makes disciples? Disciples do. All of those things are in addition to what the Christian most basically does which is make disciples of Christ. Life is ministry. Ministry is people. And people take time. But we have to have quick growth, man. We just need to add lots of people, and so we need to start a, a new this and a new that and a new class, and then we get burdened for so-and-so, and so we need another program and another class. If you're burdened for so-and-so, go disciple them. Ask if they want a Bible study, and then study the Bible with them. Ask how you can pray for them and pray with them, not just for them. Pray for them, but pray with them. Don't deflect discipleship by hiding behind things that you think are good things, thereby sacrificing the best thing, making disciples God's way. But what the church has done says, it said, we're going we're gonna to go fishing for men. That's what we're going to do. We're going to accomplish Christ's mission, and we're going to be fishers of men. So we're going to establish incredible fishing technology. And we're going to build entire conferences to help people fish. And we're going to build universities where people can learn to fish. And we're going to invest in the best buildings 
where people can come in and hear about fish. And then they don't fish. Make disciples, brothers and sisters. What are we doing here if not this? Say what this, how do, I, how do I do this? Just look for a disciple around you. Look for a, a potential disciple around you. Some of you already have them. They're in, their, they're in your home. They're called your family. Disciple them. Don't beat them into modified behavior to get the result that you want so that you can feel good about how you've done or them not embarrass you. Disciple them. Teach them the word. Be patient. Charging the idle, helping the faint-hearted, admonishing the weak, being patient with them all. Disciple them. And then teach your teenager that it'd be really, it'd be really cool if they put their arm around someone in the kids' ministry and discipled that kid. Older mothers and fathers, look around you and look for a potential disciple. That you can go to that person and you can say, here's what worked and here's what didn't, but God's grace got us through. You say, I have failed in so many regards. So has everyone. And Christ is gracious with us all. Your failure does not exempt you from the, the, the greatest Christian privilege nor does it disqualify you. The most basic Christian privilege is to make disciples. Where is a potential disciple around you? Can I just say to you, every one of you is a disciple of something. Every single one of you is a disciple of something. Your teenagers might be disciples of social media followers. That's what, I mean, that's the term that we use, follower, disciple. So who are they watching on Instagram? Some of you are disciples of, false, of Fox News. Some of you are disciples of Fox News or another news outlet. Some of you are disciples of talk radio. Some of you are disciples of a political candidate. Put not confidence in man. Follow Jesus and multiply followers of Jesus in your life. So we prioritize discipleship. Please understand, I am not saying you should not be uninvolved in those other ministries. I'm saying those ministries are not substitutes. And I cannot tell you the joy of just a few months or a year after discipling someone, of watching them, whether you encourage them to or not, watching them begin to just move into somebody's life and do the exact same thing you did for them. Watching them grow out of sin. Asking for help. There is no, that's a unique joy. And so don't rob yourself of that privilege. This is not just something we do at Grace Bible Church. It's something Christians do. 
make disciples. We prioritize at Grace Bible Church the giving of the gospel through personal evangelism. Personal evangelism. Now you understand once the gospel is given and a sinner becomes a Christian, they become disciples. They are at that moment disciple. Listen, the work does not stop when the sinner calls out in confession. The work begins. God has done His work to save the soul. And now the work of discipleship and the sanctification of that soul and your participation in that process has begun. Mark chapter 2, verse 17, And when Jesus heard it, He said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So in Mark chapter 2, he, he, he comes and, and, and the religious elite are accusing him. And the, he, he calls the religious elite the righteous ones, knowing that they will reject the teaching. Because the teaching is for those who know that they are sick. They know they are in need. And he says, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners. Brothers and sisters, loved ones all around you, there are those whom Jesus is calling to Himself who need to be a part of a local congregation. And God may use you to make the gospel appeal so that they may be integrated into that congregation and discipled. There are sick all around us, and only the gospel is sufficient to heal. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Listen, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. There are right now those around you in your schools, in your workplaces, in your subdivisions. People who stand before the Father inevitably, apart from Christ, condemned. So will you minister to them the gospel that you may disciple them? So he came to call the sick and he came to seek for the lost. Luke 19, verse 10, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Remember in John chapter 4, after correcting the religious one in chapter 3, the, the righteous one, the one who everything put together, Nicodemus, he interacts with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And he says in, John, in, in, in verse 27, I believe it is, the Father is seeking people to worship Him. Not only does this overly programmatic, heavily marketing, strategized church miss the mark in discipleship, it misses it in evangelism. And I'm not trying to be trite or just use a silly word, but this whole idea of a, of a seeker-sensitive church, you know, we realize we don't need that. Like, God is already seeking people. And He will find them. But He may very well cause you to be the soul to bump into their life. 
and minister to them the person and work of Christ, which is sufficient. Knowing that you have a story that you were once lost, but now you're found. In Luke 19, right before Jesus meets this wee little man that we all know, so, or right after he meets, he meets the wee little man that we all know so well, what did Jesus do with Zacchaeus after he states that he came to seek to save that which is lost? He says, I'm going to your house. So what does he do? He shares his life with him. He seeks him, and he shares his life with him. This is what disciples do. They seek the lives of the lost. And they share life. When's the last time you had any spiritual conversation at all with an unbeliever? You say, I don't have time to give people the gospel. I'm not equipped to give people the gospel. We don't, I don't know if this is going to encourage you or not. We don't really live as much in a day anymore where if you just like, get in someone's face with the gospel, they're just going to turn right there. That's not really the world we live in. Establish a relationship. Pray for them. Have a positive spiritual interaction with them. And if you never see them again, pray that God waters the seed that you just planted. We were at uh, Olive Garden the other night. Fancy restaurant, you know. We were at Olive Garden. And our waitress was awesome. We had a great, I mean, we just, we laughed and joked and, you know, talked about stuff. And I just, I just said at the end, I said, hey, I passed Grace Bible Church. We, she, we talked about her, her son. She has a son. If we can ever do anything for you and your son, please just come and see us. And here's some information. It's great to meet you. It's not hard. I didn't, she had the job. I didn't stop and walk her through every tenet of the gospel right there, Okay. Not that that would have been a bad thing to do, but you get my point. Like, just have an awareness for people and take a few seconds and say, just plant a seed. And you may have the opportunity yourself to go back and water that seed. Not all opportunities are created equal, but take opportunities. You said, what do I tell them? If I do have an opportunity... Or if I can set up a regular coffee Bible study with them. Tell them that God desires communion with people. That God wants to be with people. And He created a garden for this. He created paradise with people. And He gave them a law and He said, don't eat. And they ate therefore making humanity unholy before God. And now we need clothed in goodness that we could never attain ourselves. And the sin of Adam and Eve by one man's sin centered entered the world and death passed upon all men for all have sinned. It, it created death and it created a debt that we could never pay ourselves. And because of that debt, we are by nature slaves to sin, and, and, and we're enslaved to a master who desires to never release us. And that holy God who created the paradise and gave the law states 
His morality in that law. Yet because of sin, we cannot stand before the law and we are not able to keep it. And so we most certainly stand before a holy God and a just judge. Yet in His wisdom and mercy established a plan before the foundations of the world to unite sinners, to be with people that they may know His goodness and that they may bring Him glory. So the Son, begotten from the Father, as God, righteous and pure and guiltless, lives as man and dies a human death and in doing so is clothed in our unrighteousness but adorns the believing in robes of perfection. And in dying He pays a sin that He did not owe and cancels our debt so that we can stand and we are released. And in keeping the law, holy makes innocent the lawless. And being judged himself for crimes, he is condemned when we should have been. And these things accomplish not only the redemption of the believing disciple, but the deification of that believing disciple, that those who lived in darkness and lived out that darkness may be called to marvelous light and not merely become better people, but partakers of the divine nature. This is what we tell sinners. And it is what through God in the Scriptures accomplished by His Son has given to us. Truly, not only is this good news, it's, it's good news that's too good not to tell. And so we agree with our brother Spurgeon if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with their arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, let it be filled in with the teeth of our exertions, and let not one go unwarned or unprayed for. We preach the gospel. We give the gospel so that we can multiply followers of Christ. And we desire to do this not only in Elkhart and our surrounding community, but as we see these global mission, as we have the priority of global missions that's established in Acts chapter 1, that global missions flows from local missions. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses, the tellers of truth, witnesses on behalf of Christ. In Jerusalem, that's local. Judea, that's local. Samaria, it begins to move out. And the uttermost parts of the earth, the end of the earth, this is why we, we prioritize global missions that flows from local church ministry. 
And in Mark 16, verse 15, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. And then, as we said earlier, baptizing them. Why? Because discipleship is not to be removed from evangelism and missions. They are understood together. This is why we believe passionately in local missions. This is why we have a brother who's on the field in Ukraine right now teaching and giving the gospel. This is why we have a missions committee that puts so much time into into our priorities. This is why we have a budget that reflects this priority. This is why we prioritize church planting. Why? Because where disciples produced the church. This is why we pray for our missionaries. Because the gospel is good news that's too good not to tell. And because we believe that truly God has a plan to unite all things to himself and that every tribe and tongue and nation will bring him praise. And Grace Bible Church, the beauty that it is, the community that it is, is but a microcosm of what God is doing all over his kingdom. And in that day, the new heaven and new earth, we will meet one another and interact with one another like we had always known one another. Because we've been brought to Christ. And He is our unifying reality. How else do we prioritize the producing of disciples? We believe that people should be trained for ministry. We believe that people should be trained for ministry. Now, I want to make sure I make an important distinction. I said earlier, everybody's in the ministry. Life is ministry. Ministry is people. People take time. Everybody's in the ministry of making disciples. But we do believe that God equips and calls and trains some for vocational ministry. That is, they give their life to whether being a pastor or a missionary, and there's lots of ways to do being a missionary creatively now. But someone who, for a living, commits their life to the giving of the gospel that is to be their career, their vocation. And we understand ministerial training within the context of discipleship. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, You then, my child, listen to this, you then, my child, Paul says to Timothy, my child, be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me, Paul's relationship to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others who will be able to teach others. Ministry is intended to produce disciples. What do Christians do? Whether they're in the context of the church and they work a a vocational job that's not ministry, or they're in the context of the church, or on the mission field, or in a Christian university, or whatever, and their job is ministry, what do they do? They make disciples. Which is why making disciples in the church is not primarily my job. It is a part of my job. It's what I do as a Christian, even before it's what I do as a pastor. Do you understand that? Why? 
which is why we have a Bible Institute. Which is why when we can, I gather men at our church and we talk about preaching. Which is why Pastor Brandon has rolled out this new ministry, and Alyssa has rolled out this new ministry in the youth group to equip young people to be experts in the scriptures before they even go to college. This is why we will begin internship ministries and ministry apprentices for both our young people in our church and young people outside of our church where they can come and Grace Bible Church can be a training center for ministry, raising up missionaries, raising up pastors. And it might start right now today. Do you know how I was called to ministry? Or how I submitted to the Lord? Am I called to ministry? I knew, I knew he wanted me in ministry. I knew he wanted me in ministry. Do you know, do you know how I submitted to the Lord? It was a Sunday morning in church after preaching. Does that sound like I had this aha moment? Sunday morning in church after preaching. And that very same thing may be happening right now. As God lights or stokes the flames in the heart of a young man who may have interest in ministering the word before a congregation, or as he stokes the flames in a young lady who may desire to go on the mission field and minister to the health needs of an individual and the spiritual needs of an individual, or work for a Christian nonprofit or something like this. We desire that disciples at Grace Bible Church move. They do something. And if God calls them and replants them in a different place where they may participate in gospel ministry, vocational ministry, we want them to be excerpts before they even get there. And how is that possible? The teaching of the Word and the discipleship of believers. Can I ask a question? What happens if and when our political climate so liberalizes that Christian universities have to shut down and ministry training centers have to shut down? Who's going to train the pastors then? Who's going to train the missionaries then? What are we going to do? Well, God's got something really fascinating in mind. It's called the local church. And young man, if God's calling you to preach today, listen. Young lady, if God's moving you with a desire for souls to preach the gospel, to teach the gospel in a place around the world, to disciple believer, unbeliever, to say evangelize unbelievers and disciple believers. Listen. But loved ones, let's start this right now. Let's continue this right now. Find someone who needs a discipler and teach them. Find someone who needs Christ and evangelize them in order that you may teach them. Encourage a young person who may seem ministerially gifted 
towards a particular love for Christ. Who knows what God could do in this congregation? It really excites me to think about that. And so as we close, would you just in your heart pray that lyric in your mind that I've been thinking about all week? Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us. Would you pray with me?